0: This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 26, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: My name is Vanessa Satterdicato, and I was at WRHU from 2005 to 2008.
0: Okay. Uh, Do you remember the shows or programs that you worked on at WRHU? Uh,
1: Yeah. I remember that the Jazz Cafe was where I started. Uh, I know that the Rock and Roll Oasis is where I ended. And... Uh, I did do Newsline a couple of times. There was one semester, very reluctantly, but in response to a campaign from Ed Ingalls that I did do Hosh's Morning Wake Up Call. Mm. And um, when I was personnel director, I did as many shows as I could because I was really just trying to fill in as many slots as there were. So I also did some other music programming and sometimes would engineer um, if we didn't have an engineer for some of our community volunteers.
0: Okay. Uh you mentioned personnel director. Did you have any mm-hmm. other titles or positions at the station?
1: Yeah, before that I was I think the title was traffic coordinator as part of the administrative board. Do you remember that role? Is that what it that was it was called?
0: That 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 sounds right and you would have been scheduling public service announcements and promos and things like that.
1: Yes, and being in charge of all of the EAS logs, the emergency alert system tests and all of those things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a fun and exciting position, right?
1: <laughs> it is. It really is.
0: <laughs> that's, for some people, that's the job that gets them roped in. Like, oh, I've got a job at the station. And then you find yeah. out it's not necessarily glamorous.
1: Not at um, all. Not at all. Ruining people's <laughs> slots by saying, hey, sorry, you have to run an EAS test during this. You know, really bumming them out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Um, when you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or on-air personas?
1: You know, I don't think that I did. It's funny because I don't remember saying my name on air very often, but I also don't remember using a nickname. So I must have just used my name.
0: Okay. Um, Let's go back to the beginning. I'd like to ask this as a two-part question, but answer however it makes sense to you. I'm always curious, what is it that brings people to the station in the first place? And then if you could give us a picture of what it was like, maybe what it looked like, what it smelled like, people that you met, what was going on at Hofstra Radio when you first arrived?
1: Mm, Yeah. So I was interested in working in the music industry. So I originally intended on just working behind the scenes. I did not want to go on air at all. So I was a business major. And I thought I was a transfer student as well. So I was coming from another school. And when I saw that Hofstra had a a radio station, I thought that's that's really cool. It seems like another way to connect with people who might be in the music industry and just learn a little bit about it. Maybe just a fun extracurricular. Um, But I didn't really think too much about it, even though, you know, it was exciting. I I didn't know what to expect from it. But but yeah, I was I was a music kid. Um, I had no idea what it would actually end up doing to the trajectory of my life because it really shifted things, but that's what brought me there. Um, and I remember, gosh, I, I feel like I could actually like place myself in it now. So it's Dempster hall. That's where the station currently is uh, in that room. one eleven, that main office, there were cubicles in that room when I first got there. So it looked a lot different than it came to be. I think maybe it was the, that summer or the summer after they renovated it from that, that cubicle setup and white walls and very well-trafficked floors to, mm-hmm. you know, blue walls and that center aisle that really just kind of opened it up and made it a lot more familial. People could just kind of come in and chat with each other. And it was a much more open room.
0: Hmm. And I
1: think that my favorite room, in that whole setup. So, you know, we had this, this really tiny newsroom down the hall. It wasn't that big media hub that it came to be. Um, And then closer to, I think it was right next to the conference room. There was the music archive room, which ended up going away after we got master control. But this room was like a dream, just all of these CDs and LPs and cassette tapes. And I would get to my, I would get to the station like an hour before my slot just to be in that room and kind of soak up, all of the music in there and you know decide what I was going to play on air Um, so that I feel like is something that a lot of newer folks don't know about but there was this magic little room full of music that's not there anymore
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I'm just trying to refresh my memory so as you're leaving the main office on the left hand side would have been that first conference room right yes and then was the music archive and then the news hub is that right
1: I think it was, well, so it was the conference room, the the archive room, and then, no, I think there was, what else was down there? There was something else down there. And then Joe DeRosa, who was our engineer at the time, his office was down there. But the newsroom was if you went out of the conf, out of the main office and you made a right and went okay. down past, I think it was right across the hall from maybe the production suite or a little bit further down.
0: Okay. Okay, thank you it was for that. A tiny
1: um, little room, <laughs> yeah.
0: I've got a vague recollection of where things were when when I left in 1994. Mm-hmm. So things change, obviously, but that's that's helpful. Now they to do. go back, when when you came, when you decided to come to Hofstra, were you aware of the radio station as you're deciding that, or is it a little bit later? And and what were you necessarily looking for uh, with the radio station?
1: Yeah, i I think it was later. I think I had decided to go to Hofstra and then saw like, oh, they have a radio station. That seems really cool. And I was, you know, I had been a liberal arts major at the college before that. I really didn't know what I wanted to do or what I was doing, but I did have an inkling to work in the music industry. So I just thought if I got to kind of see how shows are produced or, you know, kind of network with people who... Could maybe open my eyes to some corners of the music industry that I just wasn't privy to or didn't know much about. That maybe this would be a good place to do that. Um, And also just have a little fun. Like it didn't seem, I had no idea that it was as powerful and as serious and as, you know, full of opportunity as it was. So I just thought, oh, yeah, this seems like a cool extracurricular.
0: Okay. So that was sort of my next question about your expectations for a radio station. You're looking for something that's interesting to do and maybe somewhere to follow up for a career. And then there's an interview process and there's mm-hmm. a training class. What was your impression <laughs> of all that?
1: Yeah, I thought that was pretty intense. Um, yeah. It was a little scary and intimidating, but I'm one of those people where if I start on a path, I'm like, yeah, I'll just keep taking the next steps and see what happens. So I committed to it and, and I took it really seriously.
0: Hmm. Do you remember anything about the interview process or about the training class?
1: Well, I remember uh, that my interview was with Bruce and Alicia Batinelli, who was the station manager at the time. And so, of course, she also ran the training class. And I think that was where my perception of what this place was started to change. I started to realize the camaraderie between the students, how they spoke in a way that I didn't quite feel like I was up to the task of, like they sounded like pre-professional people, you know, figuring out who they were and what they wanted to be and how to really become themselves and I just kind of felt like I was lost and wandering around so the training class was really where I got to meet some you know friends that were my peers also students in the class but also look up to you know it does sort of feel like we're always kind of looking up to the EB that brought us in and just kind of looking up to them and being like wow like that's so cool I aspire to be like that and the station helped these people become that way like this might be the real deal.
0: That's very impressive. Do you remember any of the other people that were in the class with you?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I think I want to say Yana Schiff may have been in that class with me. But I also know that in all of the years that have passed since, I get them all confused because then when I was on the Mm -hmm. EV, I was in those training classes and I can't remember who was in what class anymore.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I think Yana might have been in there with me. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, do you remember any good advice or good experiences you had in training or tracking that got you ready to be on the air?
1: Oh gosh. I mean, so first of all, Ed Ingalls was so pivotal for me in terms of feeling comfortable on air. Cause like I said, I didn't want to go on air when I first joined the station. And then I realized just how big a part of it, you know, the experience of being at WRHU was being on air. And Ed Ingalls was So pivotal in helping me, you know, slow down in my speaking, be okay, hearing myself and valuing what I had to say. Like he, he wasn't just helping me find my voice through a microphone. He was helping me find my voice through myself, which was just incredibly pivotal. Um, Nick Rafter was the program director at that time. And he was also he was just so kind. And he he knew so much and was so patient. I always felt like I could go to him and ask him questions, uh, which, you know, I was like, I don't want to engineer. I'm going to ruin people's shows if I go on and, you know, engineer for them. And he really helped. I don't, I don't know that there's advice in particular that stands out, but I know that I would always go to him and be like, Nick, I'm really anxious about this. Can you help me? And he was, he was always there kind of guiding me through it. So there was a lot of really great leadership there.
0: Hmm. So it sounds like there's a real culture of encouragement and cooperation and, and the ability to ask questions and, and to try things. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. And it was so encouraged for us to try things. I was so timid. And I remember Ed and Bruce were both like, listen, you're here to push the limits. We'll let you know when you've gone too far, but try Mm -hmm. it, you know, push the limits. And I, it was just so unique and and novel in my life at that time, really appreciated.
0: Mm. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Was there any time or, or place where you were pushing the limits and they kind of pulled you back? Or was it just sort of a guiding principle?
1: Well, it was mostly a guiding principle. I mean, I think there were times when uh, I was a part of the EB that really wanted to change the program schedule. And Mm. so the student EB and the faculty EB, we kind of were always kind of getting into little fights about what that would really look like. And, you know, the students really advocating for student life on campus. And if we want students to listen, we have to change the schedule, we have to kind of meet them where they are. And, you know, the faculty kind of feeling pressure between where they were getting, you know, their influence. And, you know, that was a lot of where we. I felt like I kind of pushed the limit. Um, I don't know if I ever really did that on air but i guess by way of changing the program schedule i definitely was able to convince them to like we need some different kind of music formats on here and i want to do them so let's create them (laughs) you know
0: that's that's very cool and and i definitely have more questions about that that's probably another conversation because that sounds a lot like my time (laughs) there but i want to get back to your beginnings at the station um Do you remember getting on the air the first time, or if not the specific time, your feelings? Because you said you weren't necessarily excited about getting behind the mic, but you eventually did that. What was that experience like?
1: Oh, it was exhilarating. There was a lot of anxiety, especially, you know, working the mic in tandem with working the board. So, you know, my mind just wanting to really make sure I'm pressing the right buttons, but also that I'm saying things that are interesting on air. It was just a lot to kind of take in, especially until I got the hang of it. But I remember when I finished my first show or somewhere around my first show, uh i was like oh my god i want more of that that was incredible Mm. that was so fun yes i could totally go back and kind of nitpick all of the little mistakes that i made but we're doing that again and again and again i loved it
0: oh that's fantastic so that was the jazz cafe your first time getting on Uh yeah and did you know much about jazz music or is that just stuff you were learning on the fly
1: I didn't know much about it. I was learning a lot on the fly. Um, And there was a gentleman named Bob who did a lot of, you know, um, vetting the music and getting less, uh, a really nice supply of music. And he was so nice to talk to and he would always, you know, kind of help me learn, but I I appreciated jazz music, even though I didn't know a lot about it. So I, I just loved the opportunity to kind of set a vibe, set a mood for the afternoon. And then, you know, just kind of, interrupt with, you know, sharing whatever I did know. It was a lot of fun.
0: Cool. So uh, was there a time or uh, a moment where you realized, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing here. I feel really comfortable. I'm excited about it. And and I want to keep doing this, that you knew WRHU was going to be part of your future.
1: Mm. There were probably so many little moments that did that. I mean, I even remember talking to bruce after getting cleared combo cleared and saying you know i really appreciate what you put us through. <laughs> I really appreciate mm. that you have this training class, that you have these exams, that you have these clearances, because I really feel like I was able to kind of earn my place here and feel like I, I actually belong here. Like I know what I'm doing. And I remember he kind of gave me this little smirk, like, yeah, that's why we do it. You know, like, yeah, we've got the FCC and I like to sleep at and all that, but really it's so that you can take some degree of ownership in your time here. So it, it came up in all of these little ways of whether I was, you know, helping out with, we did our, our, the first music marathon. So we tried to like fundraise for kind of like, you know, the regular formatting shows um, just coming up with all of these different creative ideas. It was like, Oh, I'm stepping into uh, my own potential here and I'm not getting in my way as much anymore in terms of like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, I remember actually one, One time in particular, I got an opportunity to interview one of my favorite artists at the time. His name was Tony Luca, and I had known him for a few years. And at one point I'd interviewed him really briefly, but he offered to come to the station and just do a whole interview and perform some songs and all of that. So we weren't live, but we were doing this in the production suite. And I was so nervous because I was always afraid to have like, you know, this once in a lifetime experience and then something wouldn't record or something would go wrong. And so I had asked Mark Wiener, who was a community volunteer at the time, a brilliant engineer, really, mm-hmm. really sweet guy. I asked him to come in and you know help me set up and double check everything. And he could tell that I was really anxious. But when he came in, he was like, why are you worried? You did everything right. He's like, I don't need to be here. I'll hang out if you want, but you don't need me here. And I really allowed that to like click in with what I already knew about myself, which was Yeah, I think you're right. I think I decided that I needed backup, but really, I know what I'm doing. And so I was able to lean in and be like, I'm going to crush this. And I I did. It was a really great interview. We had so much fun. uh, And I walked away feeling really, really competent after
0: that. Oh, that's a fantastic story. Um, yeah. yeah, Mark was a really, uh, as you said, very talented guy, very creative guy, and was just another one of these really uh, guiding spirits uh, mm. of the radio station. So I'm glad that you got that that sort of multi generational uh, experience. And what what good? What a good f- piece of feedback! Like you did everything right. You yeah. don't need me here. I know, what Mark Weiner say. saying that to
1: me. I know. <laughs> yeah.
0: I took that to heart.
1: It was really, it was really special.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I want to go back to something you said earlier about, about Bruce and that, that sort of that, that classic Bruce Avery knowing smirk, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. like you got it. Like I've been, we've been putting this out here for you and he knows that what he's been doing has been right. Yes. And and yes. That, that moment. And that was very that was a very mature observation. You know, for a lot of college students, you're just you're just going and doing it and pushing against the established thing. But you noticed that this was all in place. And yeah. that's that's pretty impressive. And that, that that must have been a really great interaction with Bruce. I'm sure he he very much took that to heart and appreciated oh. it.
1: It was beautiful. I think I have figured Bruce out pretty quickly. And I, it felt like he was sort of a kindred spirit in a way like he had what we call it. in you know, I've, I've, I've gone on to become a therapist. So what we call it in psychotherapy is sort of a golden projection, which is this idea that like I saw so much in him that reminded me of me, except I was nowhere near fulfilling any of that yet. So I kind of felt like I had his number pretty quickly. And it made for a really close relationship between us throughout my time there and after.
0: Yeah, that that idea of high expectations, I think that comes mm. through and you've got Mark Weiner, you've got Ed Ingalls, you've got Bruce mm. Avery. These are dedicated leaders who, who put a lot of energy into that and set high expectations. Did you see that? I, I think you alluded to this earlier uh, with talking about Nick and Alicia, that they were also setting high standards. But did you feel like a lot of pressure to meet these things or, or was it an encouraging environment?
1: Well, I felt pressure, but it was it was pressure that I had put on myself because I understood how valuable this opportunity was, even though I wasn't somebody who was studying journalism. I understood that these are people that I am so grateful to get to learn from and not learn from in a classroom setting, but hands on. They are my mentors. They are people I can laugh with and share lunch with and, you know, workshop things with. So I felt pressure because I wanted to make them proud because I wanted to step into this opportunity but I never felt it from them it was it's sort of remarkable especially looking back on it and having worked in so many different environments since that they were able to cultivate that in such a loving and nurturing way but also get get stuff done you know
0: mm. um, so you talked about earlier being on the air and getting, comfortable pretty quickly and you've got these these relationships working on when did you feel comfortable socially at the station when did you know that that you had a real uh supportive group there
1: yeah i think Well, I think I I always kind of saw that there was this supportive group. I think I felt like maybe I had stepped into it once I was on the administrative board. And that might have just been by nature of, you know, now I'm attending A-B meetings. Now I'm a part of a group that, you know, we have reason to kind of talk to each other and get to know each other. And I think that's when it really started to kick in for me that I was not only a part of the radio station, but I was a part of the culture of the radio station and the social element of the radio station.
0: Okay. Uh, That leads me to my next question, because you said when you came to Hofstra, you weren't entirely sure what you wanted to study. You had this idea of the music industry. Did you find a moment where you said, I'm going to go into this, or I'm going to study that, or how did the radio station guide your education?
1: Well, it's, (laughs) it's actually interesting because it... It reinforced for me that business was not for me, except Hmm. I was, you know, a couple of years into that major, maybe by the time I realized that and I felt stuck, like I couldn't change my major. Uh, So that was a, a difficult time for me. But really, I was so grateful for WRHU showing me that I needed something creative. I needed something more down to earth than business. I mean, I was in these like big lecture halls, studying economics and like corporate policies and things that I just, they didn't align with my worldview. They didn't align with my creativity and they didn't align with what I was good at. And through WRHU, and and this is what I so appreciate about it is, you know, I think Bruce in some way always knew that I was going to become a therapist, even though that didn't happen until a couple of years after I graduated. And Ed was always like, I get that journalism's not your thing, but if you ever want to go into it, I want to help you because you've got a cool voice. You really do some cool things on air. Like, I, I want to help foster this for you. So just the fact that opportunity was evolving out of this, it yeah, it made it harder to be a business student and i couldn't change course but it also was like okay i don't have to stay this course ultimately once i graduate if i don't want to because i'm also realizing my potential in so many other ways that i never would have if i was just studying academically so it didn't necessarily give me clarity on where to go but it gave me clarity on where i could go and where i didn't have to stay
0: wow that's yeah. pretty amazing
1: yeah that's- yeah i i i can't i still can't get over the impact i mean like a lot of us like it just changed our lives
0: yeah and we don't necessarily know at 20 years old or 21 where it's going to take us but it's certainly opening up possibilities absolutely that's, that's that's really interesting um i want to go back a little bit more you said about joining the ab um again not entirely sure you some students will say, well, this is my major. I want to stick to things that go there. And becoming traffic coordinator isn't necessarily doing that. Was it a conscious decision to say, I'm just going to jump in and try things? Or where were you hoping that would take you?
1: Yeah. I mean, certainly John Mullen was like, listen, you need to be stepping up into leadership. It doesn't matter what you want to do after this, but but be in leadership. And so, yeah, it felt like a way to, you know, in my very noncommittal kind of way step in and try it and see how it felt. And I loved it, even though I didn't love that role. I loved, yeah, what it was kind of leading me to.
0: Hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you to sort of disregard all these stories and how much, you know, <laughs> these relationships and experiences changed uh, you know, who you were and, and led to what you became. Can you go back to your mindset at, uh, you know, let's say 18, 19 years old and you're mm-hmm. you're coming to Hofstra and you're finding out about the radio station? You kind of alluded to this before, but can you go back to that mindset and tell us what did you hope Hofstra Radio would be and then what did it become for you?
1: Mm. Yeah, I thought, you know, if I make a couple of friends and feel like I've got something interesting to, you know, say I did while I was in college, then, you know, that would be kind of cool. If I learned some things too about, you know, like I said before, just things going on in the music industry that maybe I didn't know about. Um, I really thought it was going to take up a little bit of time in my life that maybe I would try it for a semester and see if I wanted to keep going. Like I really especially and that was I was thinking that before I went through the training class and all of that, because then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to stick around. But just Mm. thinking about it before I had any real exposure to it, it was really like, you know, there's a million clubs at the school. This seems like a cool one to try out let's see what it is you know and and whatever that was it paled in comparison to I mean it took up my life like (laughs) there was a semester where I was failing my business classes because I was at the radio station all the time like it became where all of my friends were where all of my you know career uh, my leadership skills started to be built it it became everything it wasn't just this passing you know extracurricular club like I thought maybe it would be
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's that classic moment when you realize you were at the station before class, between class, (laughs) after class, any waking moment and you realize, oh, maybe my, maybe I should go to class a little bit more often. Maybe I should work (laughs) on this paper because it has that way of drawing people in. And that's true, whether it was in your time, my time, or back in the 1960s or 1970s, there's something about the culture that draws you in because it's so much fun and it's so much so interesting.
1: Yes. And I didn't feel like I was, you know, wasting my time. I felt like even if I was just sort of hanging out and chatting with friends or, you know, goofing around, we were still like it was all in the service of of something that we were working on, a project that we were working on or something that we were, you know, really excited about creating. And so it 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 felt like it was, you know, it was really fulfilling.
0: Hmm. Was there also a moment I want to double back again? Because you said you know you had these ideas about the music industry. Were you were you thinking about uh, learning about record companies or what was it that that was attractive and and what did you get out of your experience through Hofstra? What did you learn about it?
1: Yeah, so I my my initial <laughs> I always say that my initial intro into the music industry was when I worked at Sam Goody when I was 16. So I'd mm-hmm. had the kind of like retail experience of it, and I thought, okay, what happens? once you know an album's out we know that radio is going to pick it up and there's going to be you know there's a lot of politics around you know play distribution and all of these things so I kind of wanted to learn about that from the college level before the commercial level because th- there was always something more organic about what was played on non-commercial radio where there wasn't that mm-hmm. kind of competition for you know who's getting paid or what's getting pushed so that was exciting and even though I, you know, John Mullen would always say like radio is a dying industry. So if you're looking mm-hmm. to get paid in it, you know, don't go that route. Um, but it opened up other realms for me. I mean, actually through John Mullen, I actually got an internship at MTV my senior year. Um, I got a job working at a, this this like small record label based out of New York City, um, where I did a lot of um, Well, so I actually had created a music blog and then they were kind of supplying me with tickets to shows and CDs and stuff. And so I was able to write reviews and interview artists, which, of course, then I was doing for WRHU. So I was also yeah, getting to do interviews, which was something I never thought I would want to do or be good Mm. at but was having such a great time doing that. I got to go to CMJ um, their music festival. So CMJ is the college music journal. That's like the college radio version of billboard magazine. And every year they put on a festival in New York. I think a lot of times, most of the years it was in Manhattan. I think they started to spread out to Brooklyn, But they would have panels about the music industry, they would have concerts going on all over the city. And so you got a pass to this and you could get into anything you wanted. So a bunch of us would go the station sponsored a couple of us to go for a couple of years. And that was such a great way to learn and just get exposure to the industry. So yeah, WRHU really opened up so many doors for me to get experience outside of just college radio, which was just so exhilarating.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Thank you for yeah. sharing all these stories. I, I sincerely, I have so many questions about your programming time. We're going to save that for another interview. Okay. Uh, like I said, I've got more <laughs> questions uh, and I definitely look forward to to speaking with you again. But this was so much fun. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah. I appreciate Thank it.
1: Thank you for doing this. It's great.